remember when I was applying to the seminary, I, was, I, I think I was around 21 or 22, and I, has, I had this meeting with a priest, and he asked, uh, among other things, have you been Catholic for your whole life, or you are a recent convert? And I said, oh, no, I've been Catholic for all my life. Oh, good. Do you go to Mass on Sunday? Psh, for sure, every Sunday. Great. Who went to the mountain with Jesus in the transfiguration? <laughs> and I said, I owe you that. So it's amazing because we, we listen to this text every year, always. And it's amazing how little I was paying attention to the details. But details are very important in this event. In fact, this event has a lot of meaning, and that's why we listen to it every year in the second Sunday of Lent. So let's take a look at the context of what happened to understand it better. Some verses earlier, Jesus had announced the coming of his passion to his disciples with great clarity. He said, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and to be killed and on the third day be raised. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid you, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. So up until that moment, they had lived moments of glory with Jesus. They had seen him preaching to multitudes filled with authority. They had seen him heal the sick, you know, make the paralytics walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. And public sinners would change their lives and they would convert. People would come to the Lord. And the crowd that was following him became so big that he couldn't even enter into the towns or cities. He had to teach in the open field or at the seashore. So, of course, the disciples, especially the apostles, they were happy about that. And they would, you know, have these conversations on Jesus' back about who would take the first places when the popularity of the Lord kept growing. After all, they knew he was the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the new David that was supposed to come, the one who would lead them to victory, to success. And they were following a master full of eloquence and wit who spoke with authority and could read hearts. But at the same time, he was humble and meek and charitable, attentive. But all of a sudden, Jesus begins to announce his passion. When he was at his peak, he begins to speak about the cross. In fact, the redemption of man, the profound purification of our hearts that would happen, would not come about only through speeches, through teachings, through gestures or miracles, but most fundamentally through his death on the cross. So what God didn't allow Abraham to do in the first reading, he did himself. He would be this, the lamb slain for us. The cross was going to be the victory of Jesus. 
Because he says, when I am lifted up, I will attract, I will draw everyone to me, to myself, to my cross. And so it happened. You know, Newman says that the cross is the measure of the world, the measure of the worth of the world. If you want to understand the worth of something, look at the cross. And also the cross is the measure of God's love for us. If you want to understand how much God loves us, look at the cross. That is why St. Paul says in the second reading, who can be against us? If God died for us, the one who is going to judge is the one who, who, who died on the cross for us, for our sake. In any case, at that point, they couldn't understand this. This announcement completely discourages them. They're confused. They don't know what to think. And when they are confused and kind of depressed by this announcement, Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, go behind me, Peter. You don't get it. When they were down, this is when the transfiguration happens. Because six days later, Jesus took precisely Peter, James, and John up to the mountain. And there they saw an anticipation of his glory. As if the invisible source of Jesus is shown through. He was the, he is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God made flesh that took our human nature to himself. But at that point, the veil of the humanity somehow was lifted a little, and it became transparent. And the divinity shone through his pores, so to say. His face was full of light. His garments were dazzling white. It was like the sun up there on the mountain. And then they saw Moses and Elijah. You couldn't have more important people from the Old Testament representing witnesses to the Lord. They felt this deep consolation, this deep joy, to just to be there, to see what they were seeing, to witness. For a moment, everything became so clear, so much so that Peter said, God, Lord, it's so good to be here. Let's stay. Let's pitch three tents. They didn't even think about themselves. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and just let's stay here. But couldn't be so. After they heard the voice of the Father affirming and blowing his son, it ended. And it was Jesus alone again with them, and they had to come down from the mountain. And then, eventually, after that, they would have to face the cross. They would have to pass through suffering, humiliation, being themselves traitors or cowards, not understanding, they will, to, they will be dispersed. And for them, everything will appear as it was lost, as if Jesus was defeated. So they were completely confused. But later, they will enjoy the presence of the Lord. Again, a greater joy. They will encounter Jesus resurrected, and they will embrace him and kiss him and eat with him, and stick their fingers on his side, 
and smell the perfume of lilies from his resurrected flesh. And then he would be taken away from them. And they will enclose themselves in fear in the upper room. And later they will receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And they will be filled with fire and their hearts will burn. So announcement of the cross, transfiguration, cross, resurrection, absence, coming of the Holy Spirit. We notice the pattern, cross, resurrection, grief, comfort, death, life, suffering, joy. This is the progression of the life of Christ and also the life of the disciple. Whoever wants to follow Christ will experience this rhythm of life, of spiritual life, I would say. This rhythm that the spiritual tradition in the church had is called consolation and desolation. They're both integral parts of our journey with the Lord. I'm not speaking only or merely about sorrows and joys, because every person in this life has sorrows and joys. Consolation and desolation is the way a Christian experiences sorrows and joy. The way we face those situations with the Lord and with faith. The echo that they have in, the, in our spiritual lives. And they're both needed. Without consolation, we, we faint. This is what comes first in our spiritual life. We don't even put ourselves into motion. But without desolation, we don't grow. We are not purified because desolation, or each one of them, if you want, they, they use different spiritual muscles, so to say. So desolation also makes us grow and, and be stronger. I'd like to read now from St. Ignatius of Loyola. He, was, he wrote a lot about this, and he says, I call it consolation when some interior movement in the soul is caused through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord. And when it can, in consequence, love no created thing on the face of the earth in itself, but in the creator of them all. Everyone is seen under the light of God. Likewise, when it sheds tears that move to love of its Lord, whether out of sorrow for one's sins or for the passion of Christ our Lord. Finally, I call consolation every increase of hope, faith, and charity, and all interior joy which calls and attracts to heavenly things. So peace, joy, and awareness of the presence of the Lord. And I think we all have some of this once in a while, as if the veil also is, is, is lifted, and, and, and we realize the Lord is here, the Lord is present. This is true. It could happen in a, at, at a Mass, when we are about to receive communion, at a moment of prayer, or even just walking in the street to realize God is real, and he's with me. This deep consolation that comes when we realize the love of God, the presence of God, the guidance of God, the fatherhood of God in our lives. But then we also have desolation. That is the contrary of the consolation. 
Ignatius says, darkness of the soul, disturbance, movement to things low and earthly, unquiet of different agitations and temptations, lack of confidence, without hope, without love, when one finds oneself lazy, sad, and as if separated from his creator and Lord. So lack of faith, hope and charity, low things, interior unquiet, sadness, dryness. It's not that God is not with us, but we feel removed from him, so to say, distant from him, as if everything belonging to, the, to, to our faith would be somehow unreal. We still believe them, but they're not as real as they were before to us. So we have Tabor and we have Calvary. We have consolation and we have desolation. What can we do? How could we somehow make the most out of these two stages of our spiritual life that, that, that are constantly present in us at different levels? So in consolation, we should unfurl the sails of the ship, so to say, advance. It's, moment, it's a moment when we are under consolation. It's a moment to make decisions, to, to make resolutions, to, 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 you know, to make new steps, and also to treasure in our soul that moment and to recharge our battery, so to say. Also be humble and realistic. It's a grace from God. It's not that I am a saint. God is consoling me because I'm so weak and I need it. In desolation, on the contrary, we should make no move. We, just, we should stick to our past resolutions when we were in consolation. Because when we are in desolation, we don't see very well. It's like when you are, if you ever climbed a mountain and there's a storm and everything becomes cloudy or misty, you, just, you have to stay where you are. You don't want to move lest you get lost. When you are under desolation, just you know, renew your faith in God and don't make any changes. This is a simple rule, but if we would follow it more, so many things would be protected and preserved. Often we make decisions in, in bad moments, in low moments, when we don't see well, and then we regret it. We have to take this, our decisions when we are under the gaze of God and we are connected with him and we are seeing better. It's good to ask yourself, why is it that, that I am under desolation? Because it could have two sources. One source could be that God is testing you. He's pruning you. He's moving, you know, tilting the earth, watering the soil so that you can bear more fruit. He said that he would do that, and he does. So that could be one um, cause. But another cause could be your own lukewarmness. Could be that you neglected your spiritual life, or you disobeyed God, or you're living under uh, without obeying him. You are in, in, in rebellion in one area of your life. So the way that he has to address that is re removing himself from your soul, so to say so that you will notice, why is it that God doesn't speak to me? That's a good question. Why is it that I don't feel his presence anymore? I used to feel his presence. That's a good question. Are you trying to listen to what he said in the gospel? Are you trying to be obedient? Are you trying to be faithful to him? Is there, any, is there something between you and him that you should remove? 
If you cannot find anything, then be in peace. Stay in peace. It is just a, a test from him. And he will go away. Consolations will come. And when they come, they will be deeper and better. Lastly, what begins our journey is consolation. We begin being a dis disciples of the Lord because we, we were found by him. And, and we were touched by love. And that, that is what sets us in motion. And what it will be at the end, it will be also consolation. Hopefully heaven. Deep and constant, permanent, surpassing, overwhelming, or flowing consolation. So our life, our spiritual life, is born from consolation, and it ends in consolation. It's good to remember that. Desolation are passing are needed steps to be molded into the likeness of Christ. May this mystery that we are celebrating today, that was precisely meant to strengthen the disciples before the cross so that they would not be discouraged, encourages us in our struggles, in our temptations, in our battles. And may our hope in the final glory of God in our life be raised.